Wow, what good news for us today, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Thomas, and I'm one of your pastors here. I work primarily uh, with our community group ministry and with equipping classes and training and things like that. Uh, today, I want to open the Bible with you to Deuteronomy 5, verse 19. It's a very short passage, I think, and I'm very confident that you can memorize it today. I'm sure of it. Uh, now, today, you know, I'm thinking about and preparing for and, and reflecting on Deuteronomy 5, verse 19, made me reflect on my first job, and especially as we, we start to get toward, a, toward kickoff, um, Kinnick Stadium, September 4th. I don't know if you're excited. Many people are. Makes me think of my first job. My first job was uh, working at Kinnick Stadium, and I was one of those people that marched up and down the stands with a big plastic tub on my, you know, strapped to my back, full of ice and 20-ounce drinks. They cost about $15. Uh, people loved me. Um, they loved how big I was and how I would block their view. And it wasn't a great job for me, especially because I was often playing football Friday night the night before. I was all beat up, get there early, it wasn't really fun. But uh, by the time it got cold out, we switched gears and we stopped selling cold drinks because people weren't interested in getting colder. Uh, we started selling hot chocolate, and so that was nice, it was a lot lighter. Uh, but it was also miserable because you're cold. And I remember going out into one of the concourses one of those Saturday mornings, and uh, you know, there's a fan out there, he's very excited, I've got hot chocolate, he's excited to buy one, he buys a few hot chocolates for him and his family. And he says, hey, do you take tips? And I said, yes I do. I was so excited, okay? People didn't normally, you know, I was excited. A lot of my money came from tips, and so I was excited. He said, I've got a tip for you. Don't eat yellow snow. Oh. Okay. Not very nice, okay? And not very generous. Not, I didn't feel appreciated in that moment. Wasn't, wasn't, didn't feel like a gratuity. Didn't feel like a lot of gratitude. Now, uh, how do we become generous people? I think we all, we want to receive generosity. Right? We want to be people of gratitude. We want to, certainly we want that to be part of our reputation and part of our character. But we don't often talk about what it would look like for us to actually grow in that. Uh, often I think it just co sort of comes across as, do it! <laughs> as if, if we shout loud enough, then eventually you'll, you'll be compelled to become generous people. I don't know about you, it doesn't tend to work for me, and, and that's what the Bible says too. And so today's passage is going to help us see how we might do that and take some steps toward it. And it's very simple. Let me read it for you. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Uh, in this commandment, I want to consider both the principle of this commandment, the problem that this commandment reveals about us, but also the power uh, that is revealed for us to actually obey and indeed fulfill this commandment by becoming generous people. So we'll see the principle, the problem, and the power. The good news is that this, this uh, commandment doesn't just tell us what not to do, but also it gives us a hint at a greater vision for the kind of community that God envisions his people to be and the kind of hearts that we need in order to achieve it. So we're going to examine the principle, the problem, and the power. But first, let's pray together, if you would. Heavenly Father, help us to listen to you now. Clear our minds from distractions. Help us to submit ourselves to your word believing that it is good for us in our world, that it reveals to us truth 
It reveals to us the path of life. Give us ears to hear, hearts that are soft, and hands that are ready to do all that you command. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can understand all that you want to say to us today. And help me, Lord, to speak only the things that you want me to say to your people. And fill me with energy (laughs) to do so. Amen. So first we learn about the principle of the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Author Rob Shank says this, and this is very simple, right? Stealing, he says, covers all conventional types of theft. Burglary, larceny, robbery, hijacking, shoplifting, pickpocketing, and so forth. Now, I don't know about you, maybe, that example, that list may comfort you somewhat. Uh, thinking, oh well, as long as I didn't knock over 7-Eleven last week, I'm pretty clean, right? Okay, great. Thanks, Pastor. Uh, But um, Socrates, about 2,500 years ago, pointed out something that the Bible has known for a lot longer. And he said that we rarely do things that we consciously know are wrong, immoral. It's just that we find reasons that what we're doing is actually good. That we we can find a rationalization for doing things, even if we uh, subconsciously know that it's it's not quite what we should be doing. And so uh, when it comes to the Eighth Commandment, we don't often, although, you know, I don't want to who knows who's here today? I'm so glad for whoever is here today, but often find ourselves saying things like this. It's a big company, okay? They basically expect people to do this. Everyone, everyone is doing it. And if they really cared, they would check to make sure no one is doing it. I needed it more than she did anyway, okay? She shouldn't have left it out. She should have given it to me, really. And so this commandment should make us ask questions like this. It should make us ask questions like, for students, are we taking grades that don't belong to you by cheating on exams or using essay writing services, uh, borrowing answers to online homework, uh, all the more tempting these days as school moves online, plagiarizing, using work that's not your own and passing it off as if it is? Are you taking entertainment that doesn't belong to you? Uh, by pirating music, software, using, you know, I don't know if you're part of a Netflix account that has about 100 different people paying for one subscription, something like that. Employees, we have to ask ourselves, are are we taking money that doesn't belong to us by uh, playing on your phone, watching videos rather than doing what your boss expects you to be doing, using the company card for things that you know shouldn't be used for, uh, charging hours that you didn't work on a job that you bid a certain amount for. Now, That's the negative side of the Eighth Commandment. We need to not do the things that God calls us to not do. And yet, it's much more expansive than that. Uh, One of my favorite TV shows, is a great example of great Canadian television, is How It's Made. Anyone seen this show before? Okay. One of my favorites probably tells you a lot about me. Okay. Uh, And I remember one of the the shows, they showed uh, a treasury facility where they were making coins. They were Canadian coins, but I still understood it. Uh, and so how they do it is they make the gold, you know, the, the silver blanks, and it just looks like a disc of metal. And then they pop over into this big die, this big machine, this press, um, that pushes this, you know, this stamp down into the coin with incredible, incredible force. The force of a thousand th- suns comes down, and out pops a coin. Wonderful. Now, if you were to go, and, the, and they showed this on the show, if you were to go and look at that die, look up in there, they remove it to service it or something, I don't know what they do. You look at, look at it, what would you notice about it? 
it's reversed. Okay? It's reversed. So when it, it comes down and presses it, you look up and it's, it would, everything would be read backwards. The images are the wrong way. Same. And, and so it's the same way when we look at especially these negative commandments in the Ten Commandments. Do not steal. It's, it's a negative it's something to not do. And yet it also points us to a positive image. It leaves a positive impression, just like that negative die leaves a positive impression and paints a raised picture of what, what ought to happen. Of course, we see what ought not to happen, but what ought to happen. And it's simple. So all we have to do to figure that out is, well, we have many other places in the Bible, and we'll talk about those, but we can simply say, if stealing is taking what belongs to others, then the opposite would be giving to others. The opposite of stealing, in fact, is blessing. And so this negative command implies this positive vision. If, if we were to take this command to heart, not only obeying, well, we can just start there. If we were to just simply obey the Eighth Commandment, a world where the Eighth Commandment is taken to heart and lived out by people, what would it look like? Well, first of all, it would look like a much more affordable world. Uh, it's, been, it's estimated that shoplifting costs about, each of you in this room about $450 each year. I know maybe you didn't do it, uh, but all of the, the costs are p- passed on to you. So that sounds like a wonderful world. It sounds a little more affordable. Um, the IRS estimated two years ago that tax fraud costed America about a trillion dollars. That would translate into about $4,500 to each of you in, in costs that we each had to accrue. So put those together, boy, $5,000 back in the bank account. That's good. But let's, let's go a little bit further into sort of our lived existence. How about a world without locks? <laughs> That's the world that the Eighth Commandment imagines for us. No, no locks on your door. No, no getting up at 11 wondering, did I, did I lock the car? Did I lock the front door? Is the alarm system on? No need for banks. Don't need someone to protect it, to hold on to it, make sure no one gets to it. No armored trucks lumbering down the road. No security cameras making sure no one's breaking into your back fence. No need for all those security tags on your merchandise. This week we accidentally brought one home with us. Who knows what we're supposed to do with that. It's a, it's a beautiful world. That sounds great. And if you, by the way, have been a victim of what the Eighth Commandment you know, describes of theft, you know how vulnerable it makes you feel, how violated it makes you feel. Um, in fact, we get another glimpse of this in, in Ephesians 4.28. And it tells us more about what this positive vision is. What would it look like if we were to not only obey the commandment by not stealing, but actually go ahead and go all the way and fulfill it, the positive vision of what it's pointing to? It says this. Uh, Paul says to this church in, in the city of Ephesus, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so they may have something to share with those in need. What would it look like to be healed in this commandment, to fulfill it, to actually turn back and do what God is pointing us toward, not just pointing away from? It would be to bless rather than taking from the good of another's work, but rather to freely give of the good of your own work. The reason that God can't abide stealing and the reason that this is in the Eighth Commandment, in the Ten Commandments, is that stealing is fundamentally opposed to God's own character. That's right. Uh, John 17, 24 says this, one of the most wonderful uh, parts of the Bible in John 14 through 17. Visit it sometime. Sort of Jesus' last words to his people. 
before his death, he says, Father, I desire that they also, he's talking about his followers, they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. God has existed from the beginning and has poured out blessing and love since then. There was never a time in God's history and in his character where he was not pouring out love and blessing. This is why it matters, by the way, that God is not one, but is also three. Not just one, but three. Three persons. Uh, If I'm just one person, I can't pour out love and blessing to myself. Uh, That's why it matters that God is three. That's why the Trinity matters, by the way. We, We believe that God is three in one. God did not create humans and create a world so that he could love. He has been loving since the beginning. It is intrinsic to his character. First John says, God is love. God is love. And since we are made by a God who is endlessly generous, pouring out love and blessing, we, we must be too. And so to steal is to go against the grain of how God created you, how God created his universe. And, and so to steal is, it's like using a lawnmower to trim your hedges. It just won't work. And it will make no less a disaster of your life. So that, that, simply put, is the principle of the Eighth Commandment. Since we belong to this self-giving God, stealing is forbidden. But we have a problem. We learned about the principle. Now we must learn about the problem. Now, I think it might seem, this, this commandment might seem obvious. In fact, uh, uh, some folks take a po- took a poll. I forgot who it was. They took a poll, not of religious people, but just of, I think it was of Americans. And they give them a list of the Ten Commandments, and they say, hey, which one of these ten do you think is, it should still apply today? Is still, you know, important ethically for us. Uh, I'm guessing you can guess what number one was? Murder. Okay. <laughs> number two, though, steal. We recognize, even if, even if you're here and you're kind of like, I'm not sure about Christ, I'm not sure about this whole Bible, Christianity thing, I'm sure you don't, I mean, we know, I don't want to be stolen from, right? And if that's true, I, I know I shouldn't steal from others. Like the other negative commandments, we have to begin by recognizing uh, that if this commandment had to be given, well, there's a reason for that. It's because there's a problem that God needed to address in us. Uh, If you're here and you're a parent, you may realize this, uh, or you deal with children often, you find yourself having to give rules and laws in your household that you thought you would never need to say or that no one should ever need to say ever, like, don't wash your clothes in the toilet. Why do I need to say this? What is wrong with you? Um, Sorry, children at home. Um, (laughs) uh, That was a personal illustration. But the point is, it had to be said, right? Because there's something wrong there. So also with the commandment not to steal. And even if we haven't found ourselves with our hands, you know, like I gave that list, larceny and hijacking and other things, even if you haven't found yourself doing that, the fact is that within each of us is the tendency to take what is not ours. Not only that, but to withhold blessing, on the positive side, to withhold blessing from those to whom God has called us to bless. And the fact is, that before we steal with our hands, we steal with our hearts. And to understand this problem, we have to start at the very, very, very beginning. See, in the beginning, God created everyone and everything by the power of his word. 
He spoke every atom and molecule and every fiber of your existence into being. And the pinnacle of his creation was his images. His people, Adam and Eve. Image means representative. Uh, It means, well, he put them in this rough world to make a good place for all people and to show what he is like. Uh, In the ancient Near East and in in the culture where the book of Genesis was written, an image was something that a king would set up in a foreign country so that the people there would not forget that they were still ruled by that king. And so God calls us his images to show, we are here on earth to show what our God is like and to exert his rule and dominion over his good world. And his promise was to make sure that Adam and Eve would have all that they need. He would be with them. He would walk with them. They would know him. They would know the one who created every single tree that they saw, every single animal, and gave them to them for their good. Every tree of the field, every flower, every animal is for you. Nothing did he hold back from them except for one thing. There was a fruit that didn't belong to them. That's a pretty good deal, by the way, isn't it? Okay, the whole world is yours, except for this. There's one exception. There was one thing that they did not, that did not belong to them, one thing they could not have, one thing in all the world. And as you, I'm sure, know, they, they disobeyed. And what was the lie that got them to disobey God? Satan told Eve, God's holding out on you. If you obey him, you won't experience fullness of life. You'll, you'll miss out on some of his blessing. You'll miss out on the good life. He's holding back his best. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. He doesn't really care about you. Yes, of course he has access to everything that you need, but can you really trust him? Can you really take him at his word? No, in order to have the life that you know you need, you're going to have to figure this out on your own. And she ate, and they ate. And in the greatest tragedy of all time, the fountainhead of every great misery in your life, in my life, and in every other human life in existence, they broke God's only rule, and they stole. They stole what did not belong to them. And why did they do that? How did did Satan needle in and get them to disobey God? Satan had no chance of convincing them that God was not endlessly able to give them what they needed. And so his strategy was to convince them that God didn't care. And that the rules and and the way that he was guiding their life was not ultimately for their good. And those are the two things that we need to believe, that God is endlessly good, that he is endlessly able to provide for us, and that he cares enough to do something about it. And so it turned Adam and Eve's hearts inside out, and we see it just absolutely immediately. Rather than being people of blessing, they become anxious and crooked, and their descendants, you see there's just this downhill slide on and on, and they have passed that problem on to us today. Um, Now, last year we became homeowners, and this ushered in quite a few new realities into our life, and and I was introduced by my father-in-law into a very important tool, and many of you I'm sure know about it. It's called a shop vac. Have you guys heard of this? Okay, it's a wonderful machine, and I agree with him. It's really necessary if you own a home. Now, there's, however, and he sat me down, and he wanted to tell me very specifically, there's something you need to know about a wet-dry vac. There are two holes. Okay? Two holes in a wet-dry vac. One of them 
sucks up what you're trying to get rid of. Great. And if you put the hose in the other end, it will do just the opposite. It will shoot out whatever is in there and uh, wherever the, it happens to be pointing. Now, it's very, 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 very important that you know which one you're plugged into because you could have an enormous mess on your hands. You don't want, uh, for, for instance, you've, you've picked up a huge mess. You put it in the wrong hole, that mess is going all over your house now. It's important. Now, we want to make sure what should be flowing out is flowing out, and what should be coming in is coming in. And that is how God describes our hearts. Uh, we should have hearts like God uh, that are bleeding out blessing, that are hooked into the right port. We're, we're pushing out blessing, but so often our hearts are, are backed up. We're, we're holding back blessings that should be going out. We're on suction mode, not breathing out blessing. And by the way, I think it just has to be said that we are swimming upstream in an extreme way in this, in particular with this commandment. Uh, I, you know, just if you like statistics, American companies spent about $200 billion last year in marketing. Marketing's not all bad, but that's about $750 on each of you. And at least part of their goal is to make you think, I don't have enough. I do not have enough. I don't have quite enough. You will never fail to find someone who has slightly more than you. You will never get there if all you look to is sort of the world around you and your own heart. And so we have this problem. This is our problem. We're stuck. To some degree or another, every single one of us in this room, to some degree or another, we're stuck on this suction mode. We feel empty. There's a vacuum. You know, a vacuum is it's a void within us, hoping to fill what we can spiritually never fill. Our hearts are made for heaven. And so, therefore, earth is, is never going to totally fill it. We're made for God. Haven't you felt that, by the way? <laughs> Whether you're here and you, you love God and you're trying to serve him, you want to know him or not. Haven't you felt that? You, you're thinking or hoping the next toy, the next vacation, the next great experience, whatever it might be, might actually fill you up. But it doesn't. But there's good news. But first, we have to see what God has actually called us to. Here is the understanding uh, that God has of our money, of our resources in general. You know, sometimes in accounting, we hear about certain funds being sort of earmarked. Have you guys heard of that, being earmarked for something? Maybe if you're really bored, you watch C-SPAN at 3 in the morning, they'll talk about something. You know, often you hear about it in, in you know, government context. We've got all this money, it comes in, taxpayers have money, and then we have a bill, and it's going to earmark, you know, it's going to pay for this program, and some of these funds are going to be earmarked, to build a bridge in Michigan, or to, you know, fund this, you know, program out in Boston, whatever. And so we expect sort of accountability, and some of these dollars are earmarked for this, but most of them go into the sort of general fund to, to, to deal with things as they're addressed. And I think probably for many of us, uh, what we've heard, especially in church, is that uh, you should earmark a certain amount of your resources and that's sort of for God, okay? Probably you've heard, hey, 10% earmark it, pass it off, great, well done. But I think that's not quite right. The fact is that every single penny that has ever landed in your lap or mine or in your account is a fruit of God's good provision in your life. Every single penny. And so it's, I don't think it's quite right to say 10% is earmarked for the Lord. Rather, 100% is the gift of the Lord. Think about this. Your time, 
your talents, your abilities, your education. I don't know who you are or what you do or what, I have no idea about your life and how much money you're making, all that kind of stuff. But I know this, if you were born in the south of India, you are not making any, about any of it. You made about 10% of it. If you were born about 200 years ago in America, about the same story. Which of those things did you decide? Neither. Now, praise God, we have the fam- we're born into the families that we're born into and, and all of the things that have brought us to the place that we are. But I don't think it's right to say 100%. Well, no, it's not as if 10% is earmarked for the Lord. Rather, God has given all of us good gifts by his great generosity and it rather becomes exciting because my job is to do the best that I can to discern what to do with what God has given me. Now, some of the dollars in my bank account are earmarked to make sure my children eat dinner. (laughs) And some of them are making sure I have a roof over my head, they're paying my rent. And some of them, you know, are for medicine for my sick kid. And that's great. And the Lord, I want to encourage a higher degree of just intentionality in thinking about those things. Partly because we should be really grateful for those things. I don't know how many times I've thanked God that I can pay my rent. (laughs) But I should, because it's a gift from him. It also means that there are dollars in my paycheck and in my, in my bank account that are earmarked, so to speak, for the spiritual and physical blessing of my neighbors, of your neighbors, your fellow believers, and for the work of gospel ministry in Iowa City and beyond. Now, let's all take a deep breath. Some of you here hear this and you are thinking, you do not know how many student loans I have. You, some of you here are in retirement and you're on a fixed income and you're thinking, you're, you're looking at the market every day going up and down, up and down, and you are terrified that your retirement savings will not outlive you. Some of you are here and you're buried in credit card debt and you're saying, seriously, shouldn't, shouldn't I figure this out? Here's what I want to say to you. God will honor your faithfulness. God will absolutely honor your faithfulness. Uh, probably the most present witness I saw to this in my life was my mom, who raised me as a single mother for most of my life and struggled uh, often to, to put God first in her finances, to, to do what she could to take care of us, her kids, and to make sure we had enough to live on. And I saw her praying, and I saw her you know, worried at times, but I saw her faithfulness. And one of her most constant reminders to me was that God is faithful to us. He will take care of us. God will not let his kids go hungry. Now, here's, here's the ultimate positive vision behind the negative Eighth Commandment. Here it is. It's a people marked by radical generosity from the heart. A church known for proactively seeking out and addressing needs in our community. Some of you here would be the recipients of that, I think, too. For proactively seeking it and meeting it, both spiritually and physically. Where I think what we might hear from people would be something like this. You know, that church, I'm not sure I agree with them, but if they left town, I know we'd have to raise taxes that there would be so much social and cultural good flowing from our church into our community through you, into you, and through you, 
that even those who disagree with us would have to acknowledge that we are bringing greater peace and greater prosperity to our city, that it's better because we're here. Don't you want to be part of that? I mean, doesn't everyone? But how can we do that? That's a high calling, isn't it? It's scary. But this is what it's called us to. We need a deeper power. What we need, and that's what we'll talk about next, we've talked about the principle, we've talked about the problem that we have, now we need to talk about the power that God gives. Because what we need is to be like God. We need to be like that shop vac that instead of being on intake mode, always concerned, always empty, always feeling like I don't quite have enough, rather to be on some kind of outflow mode, to be able to pour out blessing to our neighbors, whatever that might look like and whatever your circumstance is. But how are we going to do that? How can we actually get the confidence in who God is, a provider and someone who cares about us, to actually be that kind of people, to actually do it? Well, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul, the Apostle Paul, an early church leader, is exhorting the church in Corinth toward generosity. There's been a famine in another part of the world and their, their fellow uh, Christians are suffering. And Paul's exhorting them to give. And he says this in order to motivate them to do so. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We will only fulfill the Eighth Commandment, honor God, and go on outflow of blessing mode when we see that in Christ we have everything that we could possibly need. The gospel gives us not only freedom from the penalty of the way that we have broken the Eighth Commandment, but also gives us the power to obey and fulfill the Eighth Commandment. And it's because of Jesus. Jesus is the strangest king you have ever met. What do we expect from a king? We expect a king to be well-dressed. We expect him to live in a palace. We expect him to have jewelry on his fingers. We expect commanding presence. We expect all of those things. We expect him to be rich, is what we expect. After all, all the land is his, everything. But what do we have in Jesus? One of my favorite places in the Gospels is, is in Mark 11, when Jesus uh, gives a story. He's asked, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Should we pay them or not? And how does he respond? What's the first thing he says? Does anyone have a coin? Does anyone have a coin? Have you ever thought about that? Why is, why is Jesus asking for a coin in order to give a sermon illustration in the temple when someone asks him? Do you know why he asked for a coin? It's because he doesn't have one. Jesus is the king without a quarter. And he dies homeless, naked, and alone. Why? Well, Jesus didn't start out that way. That's what 2 Corinthians 8 says. Though he was rich, he started out just like we would imagine a great and powerful king to be. Uh, He was there in the beginning with the Father, with the Spirit. He invented gold. I bet you've heard of it. Uh, he, he decided that uh, diamonds would be a good thing for the world to have. Um, he decided silver could have 47 protons, and he said, print, and it happened. That's pretty cool, okay? So he's not suffering at all. In fact, every resource in existence is his to give. And yet, in spite of that fact, in spite of the fact that he could have just enjoyed that for himself, he looked at people like us, who are not only morally but sp- just spiritually poor, 
who, rather than bleeding blessing, were clawing at one another, hoping that we could get what we don't believe that God will ever give us. And he said, I will go bankrupt for her. I will go bankrupt for him. I will go broke. And so he came down. It was the only way. He wrote himself into the story of human history and into the story of our sin. He became poor. He became utterly poor. He became homeless, penniless. And since our theft is not primarily a sin against one another, but against the character of our God, Jesus had to go all the way. And on the cross, he became as spiritually poor as we are. He paid the penalty that our thieving hearts deserve, but he did more than that. On the cross, Jesus turned his pockets inside out so that he could turn our hearts upside down. He didn't stay in his grave, and that is good news for us today. Because being connected to Jesus means that God has our well-being, taken our well-being as his personal responsibility. We will never not have enough. We will never be truly in need. Jesus has turned his world upside down so that he could turn your heart inside out. Because there are two things we deny that when we steal, just like we said before, that God cares about us and that he has the resources to take care of us. And if you belong to Jesus, your, your ultimate well-being in every realm, God has made his responsibility. If you trust Christ, you have traded your past and your performance, whether it's been good or bad or somewhere in between, for Jesus' perfect performance, the only thing that could ever satisfy a perfect God, so that now, I don't know what you imagine when God looks at you, if you are connected to Jesus, he sees his perfect son. Now, do you think God the Father wants to take care of Jesus, the perfect son, and make sure he has the things that he needs? Well, absolutely. And so if you're connected to Jesus, he will do the same for you. You know, I, I think about this. Um, if, if that's the kind of assurance that we can have, it gives us incredible power. I imagine uh, if, you, if someone were to go to Bill Gates' son, I don't know if he has a son. I, ma- I made that up. You go to Bill Gates' child and you say, hey, we need you to do some dirty dealings, um, but here's the thing. We'll give you $100. $100. Will you do it? What would Bill Gates' son say? Do you know who my father is? <laughs> what could be less attractive to me than $100 right now? Uh, do, you know, do you not think that I could ask my father for, for, to have anything that I need and he'll take care of me? That, for us, is our reality, except Bill, God makes Bill Gates look like, you know, pretty bad. <laughs> or on the other hand, on the positive hand, therefore, and therefore, stealing is just kind of like, what could it ever have to offer me? What could withholding blessing ever have to offer me? I have everything I need. I have everything I need. And on the other hand, I, I think of my son, Silas, who yesterday, for the first time, he's nine months old. You know what he said? Da-da. Da-da. Okay? And my heart melted. And you know what I wanted to say to him? What do you want? <laughs> what do you want, buddy? You want a popsicle? You want, what do you need? I, I mean, my heart was just overwhelmed, gushing with fatherly affection for him. And that, my friends, is just a microcosm of how the father feels toward you. Not only is he endlessly able to provide but he cares for you so much more than I even care for my son. The gospel gives us not only the, the freedom from the penalty of our sin that we deserve, 
but also fills us with power to obey, to fulfill this commandment. Now, what would it look like for us to take this home? Let's, how would we apply this to our lives today? Um, what comes to mind for me is, I don't know if you remember the story of Moses and the burning bush. And what's interesting about that story is, you know, it apparently was not all that uncommon that you'd see bushes burning uh, in that time in the desert and all that kind of stuff because lightning and all that. I mean, we have wildfires today, right? And you don't go, wow, a wildfire, let me go look at it. What was amazing, and it says so in the passage, it says, uh, you saw a bush being burned but not consumed. The bush was being burned but not consumed. And so it made Moses say, where in the world is it getting that source of fuel? Where is it getting that source of combustion? How can it keep burning and burning and burning without burning itself out? And so too, if we become a people of radical generosity who can seem to pour out blessing from who knows where, uh, because isn't the way of the world to keep as much as you can, not to, not to open up the coffers, not to... Well, how would we, we would become a people of unexplainable generosity that would make people go, how are they doing that? I have to go look. Just like Moses said, I have to go look. What's happening over there? Where are they getting the source of that? The power to do it. Where does it come from? Well, I think first of all, and a really simple thing that we can do, and I think it's always, I've sort of thought of it as kind of a quaint practice, but I think it's really helpful and formative, is to pray for your meals. And, and really in your meal prayer, acknowledge, thank you for feeding me. <laughs> thank you for feeding me, Lord. Uh, when, you, when you make a paycheck, whenever you, know, you get paid, whatever it happens to be, however you have income, to do the same thing, to, to build a heart of gratitude by simply acknowledging that God is the one who has given me these things. Um, not to rationalize and say, well, I worked hard, you know, but to say, the Lord has given me my gifts, my abilities, my time. The second thing uh, is, of course, I, I have to call you to give to the mission of making disciples uh, through this local church, through Parkview. Now, of course, there are other places to be generous, uh, but for Christians, this is our spiritual family. And so I, I have to call you uh, to giving to God's great mission to make more and more generous hearts through obedience to Christ, which primarily happens through your local church, through Parkview Church. And we're in need right now. Uh, we know God will provide, and you guys have been faithful for so long, and we're sure of that. Um, but we're in, we're in a place of need. Use your resources financially to support uh, this church. And I would just suggest, if that's scary even to begin with, I would just suggest that you start where you can. And if you're here and you're in one of those categories where you're terrified because you're buried in debt or whatever it happens to be, and you feel like, I can't even look at my finances without my heart racing about 80 beats per minute faster, um, we want to be a help to you. Um, and I hope that... I hope that you have people who you can talk with about that. If you don't have anyone and you want someone, um, my encouragement to you is uh, go and fill out a Connect card. There's lots of reasons to fill out a Connect card, but fill it out, and you could just put a dollar sign at the bottom. We'd love to get you connected with someone who can just kind of get your head around, like, how do I manage my money well for the glory of, of the Lord? Another thing would be, I think it's something in our, our community that could change, is that we need to make it not weird to talk about money amongst ourselves, um, you know, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so can you imagine going to the doctor, and they check your lungs, uh, they check your muscles, they check your skin, they check your vision, they do all that stuff, and, but they never check your heart. And they say, you're fine. You'd say, this is malpractice. What are you doing? You got this, this is really important in here. Uh, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so uh, how can we not? <laughs> ask one another about it. How can we not? Um, 
check in on one another uh, in a place where Jesus says our, our worship and our true uh, allegiance to Christ will be revealed. So let's do that. Uh, if you're in a community group, you know, take those questions, the discussion questions I've written this week seriously and, and try to invite one another to actually talk about that. And finally, use all the resources that God has given you. I know I've talked a lot about money, but of course there are many other ways that God has blessed us. Time, talents, here in particular, we have needs, and Ned's going to mention them in a second again, but I'll just, I'll just give it another push. We need ushers. Just about every week for the past, I don't know, a month or two, I've seen people walk in the back and look around because it's getting kind of full in here, and they don't know where to go. And some of them head out to the atrium, hey guys, and some of them sit down in the back, and I don't know, you know, it's, we need people to show people where to sit. And it's August 1st, by the way. This is a big season for us. We're going to have a lot of new people coming through our church, and we need to be able to show them where to sit. Here's how to do it. Welcome. There's a seat over there. Okay, you've all been trained. Okay, you're qualified. <laughs> you're qualified. Um, if you're able to do that, again, go, to the connect, go grab a Connect card, fill it out. We need help. Um, we need people to help with childcare. And it's a pretty simple process to get onboarded into that. We have, you know, a few due diligence things to do, but we need help with that. Um, we need people to make brownies and flip burgers for some events that we have coming up. We need child care volunteers, like we said, and it's August 1st, so we, need, we really, if we want to accomplish our mission as a church, that's another way that you can be a huge help. All that to say, when we see the riches that we have in Christ, to know that our Heavenly Father is as concerned for us as he is for his perfect son, Jesus, that we are the beloved child of the king of all, the one who speaks and gold exists, we are freed not only to obey, but to fulfill his call to be people of blessing today. Jesus became poor so that we could never doubt that God will always take care of us in the path of obedience. So let's reject stealing and embrace blessing by following this strange, penniless king, Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you that though each of us has fallen short of what you have called us to in the Eighth Commandment, that you have sent your Son to free us from the power and penalty of our sin so that we can live as people of blessing using whatever resources you've given us to benefit others, that you can turn us from people who tend toward suction mode, always hoping to fill the void, to people of pouring out blessing, whatever shape that might look like. Lord, I pray that you would come by your Spirit to show us what steps of obedience you would call us to by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would encourage us with the hope of following Christ, of being known as your child. I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know what that feels like, that you would reveal yourself in a special way, that they would come and hear more about who Christ is and what he has done for them. And I pray that you would make us this unbelievably, unfathomably uh, generous community that you have called us to be through uh, your perfect son who has become poor so that we might become rich in him. Please do all this and more for the glory of King Jesus here and beyond. Amen. And now at this time, we're going to take communion together. Communion is another wonderful reminder of God's grace toward us. Communion is a free meal offered to us, <laughs> to those who come to him. You know what the qualification is to come to Christ? Emptiness, brokenness, poverty. 
And so, we celebrate communion as people who know what it is to be spiritually poor and who are willing to come to Christ with the empty hands of trust and faith, ready to receive a gift, the gift of life from King Jesus. So, let me read this here. The Apostle Paul says to the church, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for nourishing us through the sacrifice of your perfect Son. We pray that as we have proclaimed this perfect life, death, and his death, that you would nourish us with the hope of your gospel so that we can become the people you have called us to be, your images, your representatives on earth, to show that you are a generous king. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.